BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If there's one thing I've learned from covering Donald Trump, it's that he does not keep his agenda secret. Take abortion. Before he became president the first time, he was clear about his plan. Appoint conservative Supreme Court justices, have them overturn Roe v. Wade, send the issue back to the states. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Now that he's running for a second term, it's useful to listen in. That we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. We will carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. All this tape, it's from the last few months. We're going to do an executive order day one, so important, ending automatic citizenship for children of illegal aliens. You know, he's uh, in fact the politician who's famous for saying the quiet part out loud. If I happen to be president and I see somebody who's doing well and beating me very badly, I say, go down and indict them. Mostly, that would be, you know, they would be out of business. They'd be out. They'd be out of the election. And right now, the most notable thing I think that he's saying out loud is about his plans should he get a second term in the White House. Susan Glasser reports on politics over at The New Yorker. She's been following along as day by day, a Trump doctrine seems to be coming together. His plans there are very explicitly what we might call um, anti-constitutional, unconstitutional. He already has a long list of people he wants to be targeted by the Justice Department, by the IRS, uh, and on it goes. Given everything that we know from reporting over the last few weeks about what Donald Trump wants to do if he returns to the presidency, do you get the sense that America's paying enough attention? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's um, it's it's pretty striking that one year out, not quite from the presidential election, every national public indicator that we have suggests that Donald Trump is running uh, at best dead even with Joe Biden, the incumbent president, despite this extraordinary flood of uh, extremist promises and rhetoric coming from Trump, despite his his radical record uh, already, uh, despite January 6th, despite four criminal indictments. Do you mean at best or at worst? Well, I mean at best because at worst, he's winning. <laughs> I do mean at best. You're talking at best for democracy, not at best for Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> well, none of this is best for democracy. Let's stipulate that, right? <laughs> Today on the show, Trump is giving quite the preview of what a second term could look like. Are you listening? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around.
This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So here we are, a year out from the 2024 election, with Donald Trump as the Republican frontrunner again. And it's worth asking what Trump learned from his first stint in office. Susan Glasser says, listening to Trump campaign, it's clear he has not learned the same lessons a milder candidate might have. For instance, while a phalanx of lawyers worked to protect Trump from some of his less democratic instincts last time around, it's clear that should he move back into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, those advisors will not be coming with him. You know, Donald Trump saw himself as needlessly constrained in his term in the White House by a whole category of officials. That included his White House counsels. It included not only White House lawyers, but also, in the end, his attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, as well as his first attorney general, Jeff Sessions. And it's fascinating because both of those would be considered, certainly by many independent observers uh, and, and many Democrats, to be quite radical Republicans in terms of their views about executive power, in terms of what they were willing to go along with in Donald Trump. But both of them drew the line at certain kinds of conduct. And Trump's approach to a second term seems to be much more grounded in loyalty testing and, you know, assembling a cadre of like-minded officials who essentially will do whatever he wants, uh, not even so much ideologically, but personally. Yeah, in his first time, he was really supported and buffered by conservative lawyers who'd been brought up in this group called the Federalist Society. And it was interesting to me and notable when I saw one of Trump's allies quoted, I think in the New York Times, basically saying, Federalist Society doesn't know what's up. Like, we're going to just blow them out of the water with how we proceed next, which it's hard to get more conservative than the Federalist Society. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm glad you spotlighted that because I also uh, thought that was really notable. We're kind of in the revolution eating its own stage of Trumpism, uh, which is to say that the previous generation's radicals are now deemed not radical enough, right? And you have uh, ever new groups of people. And Trump already, uh, from the very beginning of his time in public life as a politician, uh, has talked about using and abusing instruments of federal power like the IRS and like the Justice Department to target his political opponents. Remember, lock her up, lock her up, chant in the 2016 campaign against Hillary Clinton. People forget this. In the 2020 campaign, uh, he publicly ordered uh, and lamented 
to Bill Barr, where's the indictments? Where's the charges against Joe Biden? This was in the fall of 2020, before the election, before his effort to overturn the election, before January 6th. And so, again, is it new that Donald Trump uh, would be seeking to personalize power? No. Is it much more threatening that he has four years of experience under his belt and a group of people around him now who seem much more focused on how to facilitate those desires should he get back into office? Yeah, I mean, the Washington Post had this reporting with people close to Trump speaking anonymously, but saying they're pretty clear that Trump wants to punish his enemies using the Department of Justice. Do we have any idea who those people are and and how he might think about punishing the people who used to work with and for him? Well, that's right. I think it's very important to remind folks that, you know, most of the most damning testimony against Donald Trump, uh, either in court or on the public record, is from people who he himself appointed. Uh, There's just a long history of him ultimately causing people to break with him. And uh, those are now the kinds of enemies according to the Post's reporting and other reporting that that he wants targeted. I don't think it takes a super secret leak uh, for us to know that he wants to go after people he considers to be traitors and betrayers. He's called them that publicly. People like the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley. And uh, now Trump literally uh, called for death in capital letters, D-E-A-T-H, on a social media posting about Milley in the course of this 2024 campaign. He's on the list, presumably. Don Kelly, uh, the former White House chief of staff uh, who has, you know, publicly opposed Trump and and privately, I think, allowed very, uh, very damaging things about Trump to emerge on the public record. Reportedly, Trump also has pretty extreme plans for the southern border if he assumes the presidency again. And this reporting really stood out to me because so much of it was on the record. Stephen Miller talked to the New York Times. And the things they were ticking off in this article were things like trying to get rid of DACA, which is something which traditionally has been a bipartisan program. Talking about getting rid of asylum for people, sprawling detention camps, ending birthright citizenship. So if you have a child in this country, they do not get citizenship. No more humanitarian visas and even kicking out immigrants who protested against Israel. Like just there was like one after another of these pretty shocking things that would be major changes. Did this shock you? No, no. And it shouldn't shock you either. Because whether people were paying attention or not, these are all things, with the exception of the current protests around Israel, which which are new, these are all things that Stephen Miller advocated and pushed for, and Trump, in many cases, advocated and pushed for, even when Trump was in the White House. They're not shocking in the sense that this is literally what his agenda was. He was unable, for various reasons, to enact parts of this agenda, but uh, with with some notable exceptions. Uh, If you want to know what Donald Trump wants to accomplish that's extreme and radical and disruptive in his second term, just look to the unfinished agenda of his first term. Hmm. Talk to me about Trump's foreign policy, because you've really highlighted that as like a, a major change that would come should Trump assume the presidency. Talk to me about how that would look different, because we're already seeing how Republicans are having second thoughts about funding Ukraine. And there's been trouble 
even getting funding for sending aid to Israel. So how do you think a Trump presidency would change the dynamic here? Yeah, no, I I think it would be quite a radical shift again. And in part, I apply my rule of if you want to know about the second term, look back to the unfinished radical agenda of the first term, and you'll see things like a preference for adversaries over allies and, you know, strongmen, dictators like Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin and uh, even Kim Jong-un of North Korea. You know, those are the kinds of people that Trump publicly praises, but not just rhetorical. Trump was quite serious, I think, about undermining or even possibly pulling out of uh, NATO, which takes on a whole different context and meaning now that there's this extraordinary Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, he, he talked very seriously and pushed the military very seriously in the direction of withdrawing from South Korea, where the United States has had troops for literally decades uh, and is a key cornerstone of regional as well as international security there. And uh, I think Trump is serious about uh, things like that uh, and would be pursuing those very actively in a second term. The presidents have much freer hand to act uh, directly when it comes to foreign policy and national security in our system. And so in some ways, that's where you can see kind of Trumpism in its most undiluted and pure form. I think part of what you're saying is that if the last presidency was like the Terminator, the next presidency would be Terminator 2. And we all know that in Terminator 2, the Terminator was much harder to kill. Well, you know, uh, there was... Uh, a really indelible image that stuck with me uh, when we were doing interviews for the book. Uh, I spoke with a former, very senior U.S. national security official who spent a lot of time in the Oval Office with Trump personally. And I asked uh, at this time about a Trump second term. I mean, this person said to me, you know, Trump looking to a second term it's like the velociraptors in the first Jurassic Park movie. And you remember, of course, when the, the children run away from the dinosaurs and they think they're safe when they get into the kitchen and they lock the door and they hide under the cabinets there and then click, you hear the velociraptors turning the door handle. They learned to open the door. And, you know, it was a pretty scary moment for me uh, to have a very senior uh, U.S. national security official use that uh, image for what a Trump second term would be like. And by the way, this person wasn't talking about Donald Trump learning the keys to healthcare policy. <laughs> mm. uh, they were talking about Trump learning how to operate the machinery of government on his own behalf. We'll be right back. such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Yes, win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. He just can't 
Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Donald Trump is not the only one laying out his plans for a second term. Other groups are also working to support Trump, or really any Republican, should they reach the Oval Office. Notably, a group of conservative think tanks, led by the Heritage Foundation, launched a plan called Project 2025. It lays out specific conservative policy goals, including executive orders, that could be enacted if a Republican becomes president. They've also created a database of potential hires and appointees. Think right-wing LinkedIn. The Heritage Foundation, which has been around for a long time, uh, operating out of uh, Capitol Hill, key conservative Republican bastion, became famous for sort of providing the intellectual framework behind the Reagan revolution back in the 1980s. Well, flash forward, Project 2025 is this modern, even more radical project that Heritage has now undertaken. So if this isn't new, what makes it more alarming? Uh, You know, first of all, it's with the prospect of a Trump presidency. Again, he's outlining in public for us all to hear. uh, This isn't even an ideological agenda so much as a personal agenda of grievance and retribution and a series of personal loyalty tests uh, that ultimately are the main factor that Trump seems to want to impose on those who would serve in his government, number one. Number two, you know, Trump already late in his term in office issued an executive order that would transform thousands of U.S. government civil service employees into political employees who could be hired and fired at the will of the president. Those surrounding him have said that they would seek to immediately reimpose this executive order were Trump to become president. So in and of itself, that is a radical shift that was not contemplated by George W. Bush or Barack Obama. And so that would be a huge difference in the politicization and personalization of the federal government around the whims and preferences of Donald Trump and his advisors. And the people involved with that executive order are now involved with Project 2025. So it's this like hand-holding of you know, people who are working together in a bit of lockstep but separately to implement something alarming. Absolutely. That's that's the plan. That's the agenda. If Trump wins, it's not going to be a secret, the things that he wants to do. The question will only be, how far will the system allow him to take it? Yeah, because I remember when he 
was transitioning the first time to the presidency, it was chaotic. Like, he didn't anticipate winning, so he didn't have a transition team in place. What I think is catching my attention this time is that there's a transition team in place. In fact, there are a whole lot of transition people who are just getting ready to get back into office. The velociraptors have learned how to open the door. Okay, so now that we have this information, I guess my question is, like, what do we do with it? Like, do do Democrats have a clear counter message they're offering, an argument for why the Department of Justice should be run not as the president's personal law firm or why aggressively turning back immigrants is not in Americans' best interest? Like, are they seeing this and responding in a way that's useful? Well, it's interesting. One of the critiques that we've heard articulated in recent weeks as these bad polls have come in for President Biden is a concern among many Democrats that he has been wary of focusing too much on Trump yet and too much on what Trump's agenda for a second term would be. There is a view among many Democrats, and Biden seems to share it, that uh, voters want to hear what your plans are for office and that that was part of the reason for some of Democrats' success in various midterm elections of the, the Trump era. You know, think about Nancy Pelosi focusing on health care in 2018 as a way of Democrats winning back the House, which they did that year. Or think about the many campaigns around the country that Democrats have been successful in where they've emphasized the threat to uh, reproductive freedom and abortion rights since the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. And so, you know, there's this tug of war, if you will, uh, around what kind of strategy Democrats should have going into 2024. Is it about agenda and ideology, uh, policy, or is it about the dangerous, radical personality and challenges posed by Donald Trump. Do you feel like Trump is basically daring them to (laughs) to shift (laughs) strategies? Be like, no, come at me, brah. Listen, Donald Trump prefers nothing more than people to talk about him, uh, even if it's in the negative. He thrives on negative attention. He thrives on anger and enemies. And he seeks always to bait his foes into uh, a punching contest. So, you know, we know Donald Trump's MO. So, of course, the answer is Donald Trump wants the campaign (laughs) to be all about him. But that doesn't mean that uh, there aren't good reasons for why Democrats ultimately will have to make the campaign about him. Doug Emhoff, the second gentleman, uh, was recently quoted at a private fundraiser as telling uh, the audience that the in the end, the 2024 campaign will be about the two D's. Dobbs and democracy. And I suspect that's about right. Maybe there should be a third D, Donald. (laughs) Well, I guess he's covered in the first two Ds as well. (laughs) Susan Glasser, I'm really grateful for your time. I had a lot of fun talking to you. This is great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to to talk through and to, you know, sort of set the, the level for where we're at in 2024. Susan Glasser is a staff writer at The New Yorker and co-author of The Divider, Trump in the White House. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.